know, we never made them uncomfortable. We never, never once made them uncomfortable. Obviously, in the first play of the game, they had an 80-yard touchdown run. We were not competitive. We gave up 36 points. Uh, I'm good. Yeah, I just had to come out for a play because I stayed on the ground. Um, I was just trying to make make something happen. Um, that's, that's the only thing I can do. Control what I can control. Be the quarterback. Now, I'm a play. <laughs> that's my job. I got to be out there every every game. I'm not looking forward to throwing the books or you know book a vacation right now. We got three more games. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. And this week we're joined by Anthony Wood as we attempt to scrape together some positives in the short and long term after a capitulation against a Chicago team that was a six-game slide coming into Sunday. Anthony, how you doing? Can you take any positives out of that one? No. No, if we're being honest, <laughs> as much as I want to stay positive, I think we're going to be scraping the barrel a little bit. We got to see some backups. I guess that's that's something, right? Just sort of look at it as preseason for next year. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, that's the first time I've not made it through the whole game and turned it off. Um, I don't blame you, to be honest. I don't think there was uh, a lot of alcohol left in most Texans fans' households after that game. That was that was pretty appalling. Yeah, and I mean, it's. I mean, I think the fact that. The, they were not a form team on a six-game slide. And to not be able to muster, you know, we'll try and get into some of the bits bits around the game and why we thought it maybe went that way. But to give up that many points in the way you gave up that many points and then for the offense just to stall against a unit that's okay. Um, but to to do it in that manner, I think it's tough. Yeah, yeah, it, it's okay, but it's not. It, it's not exactly the uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers or the eighty five Bears or anything like that. Let's be honest. Well, yeah, and I think I mean, look, I mean, Hakeem Hicks, right? He is an underrated player. Uh, I don't yeah. think there's any doubt about that. You saw that on Sunday, and obviously you've got Khalil Mack in there as well, and you've got a couple other guys. But when they were five down linemen, Barkevius Mingle is is propping up the end of the line there. So you know, it's not talent on talent. And I think we played much better against the Colts defense that's a far better unit the week before. Yeah, undoubtedly. And it's strange that some of the worst performances this year have come against the teams that at the time at least weren't playing well. Look back to the Vikings. Obviously, they've improved since, but they were sliding at the time as well. And then they, they just took apart the Texans and then against the Bears as well. I mean, it's, it's, it's embarrassing, if we're being honest. And I think JJ said that after the game. That was like the first word he came up with was, this is embarrassing. And it is. I mean, they can, we can come up with all the excuses in the world as to why they play badly. You know, injuries, suspensions, coaching changes, so on and so forth. But what worried me most about this performance was just the fundamentals, the basics of, of standing your block. I mean, ball security, things like that was just all forgotten. I mean, Aikens should have had a surefire touchdown, but I mean, he, and he dropped the ball. Kiki muffed that punt and turned it over. I mean, Duke Johnson should have had the ball secured, lost it. It's just these little basics. I mean, and then I don't know if you've had a look back at how the O-line played. That worries me a lot as well, because at the end of the day, they've invested an enormous amount in this line. And yes, Khalil Mack is an unbelievable player, but he just walked over Titus Howard on a few plays. I mean, it's it's embarrassing. Yeah, it was a player put out on the, just on the O-line. It was a player put out on the, it was the first run play. And, uh, and, all the linemen are trying to cut across their crews of defensive counterparts and Akeem Hicks just gets a hand up into Titus Howard and just kind of throws him aside and makes a TFL on 
Duke Johnson, and it was it was one of those days, I think, and probably don't want to go too much into the old line. Um, talked about that about last week. I think that's just been apparent all season. But I think the first time, probably this year, that all five guys did not have a game to remember, and I think both Titus Howard and I include Laramie Tunsil in that. I'll, uh, I'll probably want to burn this tape. Yeah, absolutely, and Tunsil as well. I mean, he, he let's be honest, he's dropped the last couple of games. He's had he's had some really bad snaps. The penalties have started to creep back in as well. You got to wonder if that's a mental thing. Is is it is it the stress of the situation? I mean, because he's been solid all year up until these last couple of games, but there's just been the occasional little basic mistakes here or, or the full starts or whatever it may be that's crept back in from last year. And and the biggest thing for me, and I've spoken to quite a few people about this, is we can blame the players as much as we want, and, and they will get a lot of blame for this, and rightly so to some extent. The biggest concern for me coming out of this game is the coaching. The play calling was was uninspired everywhere, all three phases. But then also just the positional coaching. I mean, the, if we actually look at the offensive linemen Houston have had over the past few years, are there really any players that we can say have drastically improved or just improved under Mike Devlin? I don't know if we can. You look at the same with the secondary. You look at the same with the running backs. I mean, just these there are very few positions where we can actually look at and say, yeah, the positional coaches are getting these guys, getting the most out of these guys. I mean, perhaps wide receivers, John Parry's done a good job there. But apart from that, I mean, it, it's that's worrying. That's the biggest concern for me coming out of this is they are not getting the best out of these players and they, there's there's no improvements. Yeah, we've talked about this a couple of weeks and, it's, and I think when your season's on this, sort of, no, it's not always been a downward spiral, but certainly Sunday got back to that kind of, kind of trajectory that it's been on. But, yeah, I mean, look, Dev, Devlin is, is is responsible for a lot, and I think there's guys that have come here, whether it be Jeff Allen, whether it, you know, whether it be Zach Fulton, you know, or other players have come in here and got worse, and I think that that's clear. But and as time goes on, it just seems more apparent that you know that perhaps O'Brien was the best coach on his on a bad coaching staff, and so you know there's not a lot left, and that's the thing we've moved on from a guy, but we've still got all this legacy, and it just it crops up every week, and it'll continue to do for the next three until we're done with this thing. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I mean, on the old line, it's not been good, particularly the internal. But as you said, I don't think Tunsil, since he was out with the illness and he missed that game, he's, he's not quite been the same. And you know, I think he's the least of our problems. But then I think when you, you know, that trade was considered it was so big, you'll always look back on it and at different points you'll view it in different ways. But right now, with the way he's playing, with all the other needs we've got, with everything that was invested into that, it just doesn't look great over time. Um, and look, it's not our biggest concern, but the fact is, it's not big. It's not our biggest concern because we've had, you know, because we don't, but we don't have anything to invest in other concerns. So, yeah, and, and John Perry has he done a good job? I don't know. I don't think any of these coaching staff have done a good job. I I think we need to move on. Um, and I think the team looked like they had a general hangover from the Colts. Now there was obviously the big article during the week, and three from SI um, from your colleagues. Um, we did about an hour of that on Friday and go and check that out, everyone, if you've not done that already. There was a fair bit we talked about. But considering that and the Colts hanging over the team, do you think that had a knock-on effect? Absolutely. I mean, that performance really took it out of the players. You could see it from from the last quarter in particular. Those players were just physically and mentally drained. And you could see it on the sidelines during the game against the Bears as well. I mean, this this whole team just looks dejected there's there's no drive there's no will to keep fighting at this point because and you can't really blame them because in a sense why should they 
most of them know they're probably going to lose their jobs, whether it's coaching staff or a lot of these backups. What's what's the point in pushing at this point in time for a lot of them? Because again, they're going to be out of a job. They're not in the playoffs this year. They haven't got much to fight for. You'd think the prospects of losing your job would be enough to to push you to fight for that job next year. But the fact they're not even doing that for me is a is a worry. There's just a an atmosphere of a very defeatist sort of nature around this team. And it's, it's very concerning. Um, you can see it. I mean, you've seen it all season long in certain player press conferences. JJ obviously jumps straight to mind. He's not been himself off the field all year, as far as anyone's concerned. I mean, it's, it's blindingly obvious that something's up and that's just sort of all around the squad. There are certain guys obviously that come out every week and, and always seem cheerful. Michael Thomas being one of them, for example, David Johnson's always great to listen to, but then you listen to other guys and it just, there's there's no joy, there's no drive, nothing left in that building. It's really disappointing, and the Colts definitely had a big impact on that. Now you'd hope, obviously, facing the Colts this week, they'll use that as motivation. You know, we want revenge against the team that arguably we should have beaten last week, and I sincerely hope that's the case. But especially now that they've lost another two starters, is that really going to happen? I'm I'm not I'm, I'm not counting on it. Yeah, I think when when you are you know completely mathematically ruled out of the playoffs I think that does take an effect because you know the games are by definite definition pointless um, and they're even more sort of pointless you know as we just talked about because you know you're not improving your draft standing and it right now would be getting the eighth overall pick um, and you know that kind of type of player at that end of the board is, is, a, is a game changer but we're not going to have that um, and you're right I think I mean I, I don't know if you saw a tweet that uh, Sage Rosenfeld's put out it's the screenplay to Darnell Mooney and Watt's one of the few that's chasing them down, but it's quite a low camera angle on the All-22 in, in Soldier Field. But you can just see very clearly at that point, there's just no hustle there on that play. Now, that wasn't evident in every play, and I don't think we should necessarily com- question the commitment of every single player on the team, but definitely at, at points, um, the first 80-yard you know, touchdown by David Montgomery. Um, that that was just, horrific. That that was just horrific. But no, you're right. I mean, there was a tweet that came out a couple of weeks ago. Um, Farrow Brown, tight end. Uh, and he, he basically said, I think he was responding to a fan that says on the lines of, why should we keep watching? And he basically just said, I don't care. I get my paycheck on Monday anyway. That's not the mentality you want. I mean, and, and that automatically just brings me back to, brings me to Jack Easterby. You mean, he's a character coach and that's, that's the kind of characters you want in the building? I mean, come on. Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing out of that article last week was you've, it, the culture has been destroyed. It has, it has. He, he's he's whether knowingly or not, he's sort of tearing it apart. Yeah, and I think whatever was built by Bill O'Brien, you know, say what you want about the results, but we won a lot of close games, and this year we've lost a lot of close games, and it's um, it's the bottom's coming out from from some sense, and I think that's got to do with, with the culture as well. And you know, something we talked about at length last week, but. Just some of the examples in that. It doesn't seem like a place anybody would want to work in, particularly where, you know, the vast majority of the guys here have all got the talent. They just need to get the mental bit right. And um, it just feels, you know, and I thought that talking, you know, just on the Easterby point, I thought, you know, when you see that Cal's the only one and he's in his ear. Yeah. Uh, when the when the camera panned his wife with that, uh, I don't know if she was asleep or whatever the, <laughs> the fuck was going on, but she was, uh, yeah, she I, I don't know if she had a couple too many uh, 
stiff drinks at half time because it wasn't going well. But yeah, I mean, I think if we're being honest, I can't blame her if that's the case. Yeah, and, and you know, but that was that was the sentiment of everybody had, I think, at the time. And when you're watching a team playing that badly, you know, and like, and we actually, and it was, you know, I was on with James for Texas Unfiltered on Friday, and we we're talking about that, and I actually said, you know, we were actually just joking about saying, you know, do you think Han will say to uh, Cal, you know, while they're while they're in the house, maybe you know, this guy isn't the right thing for this team. I think he's you know, under whatever, whatever you think of, it's just not going to work. And then, and then on the Sunday, you're getting blown out by a team that's not won a game for two and a half months. <laughs> and there she is, half half drunk, half asleep. I don't know what was going on, but I think I just, it just, it was, it just summed up everything that I think everybody felt watching that game Sunday. It does, and and you mentioned obviously the culture even before Easter. Be there were definitely issues there. I think the entire time. We saw frustrations from players who left. Look at Kareem Jackson, for example. He, he has gone to Twitter a few times to sort of vent his frustrations. You know, team didn't, didn't even attempt to re-sign him. And that, and that was all O'Brien. So you've got to... There, there were lingering issues the entire time. I, I'd heard other things from previous players that, there, again, there were frustrations in the building, perhaps about the, his style of coaching at times. Um, but it, that obviously was was entirely destroyed when, when Eastie came in. I mean... There seems to be everything from the article and then for everything that's sort of come out around it as well, there's this culture of fear that's developed, that they're constantly being watched, they're constantly being monitored for any mistakes they might make. And and it's disappointing that the McNairs would, would let this happen if this is indeed the case, which it certainly seems like it is. It is a real disappointment. And that, unfortunately, it's just been the theme of this whole season, a disappointment. You've got to wonder what on earth Easterby is saying to the McNairs to keep him in this position. It is absolutely baffling and i i'm very interested to see how the gm interviews in particular go and who is going to be dissuaded from this job because of easterby's presence yeah and i i thought the the interview or the or the the interviews because they were so wide ranging across so many people across so many facets of one guy's career and to be that cutting you know that would be you know it would be the, the catalyst for for his change and i hope it is and that would see the sensible thing. I know John McLean, he's not always the most close to the team as he was in the Kubiak years, but yeah, I don't know where he's where he's how how close his ties lying now. But he, you know, he's he's out, outwardly spoken about that and expects him to be gone. So you can maybe take some solace from that. But I think it's been that bad and it's that such a chronic feeling. We'll have to wait until. And, and actually I, I love following John's work. I mean, he's such a nice guy. He's absolutely brilliant. And he just does not care. He will say whatever's on his mind. And there aren't, there's a lot of, I mean, a lot of media are, are afraid to speak up like that in front of the team. So it's kind of nice to have someone like John who's like, no, 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 I'm going to call you out. This is how it is. It's, it's so entertaining reading, reading his Twitter, in particular during games. He's just brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, I think in, if he says that, I, I would think he's right. Um, but he said we won't we won't know until until uh, until he's gone. But as you said, that's going to be the biggest fear that still looms over a team now that all the games are effectively now completely pointless, and and uh, we'll need to wait and see now. On the, the on the theme of games being pointless, your quarterback takes a stinger in the elbow. A lot of people calling to take him out. Where do you stand on it, Anthony? In terms of him being, you know, do you just take him out for these next three, or do you do you keep him going? Well, first of all, on that stinger, that was absolutely ridiculous. Why on earth they kept him in, I don't think anyone understands but Coach Cronell. 
the fact that he backed it up after the game, I thought was absolutely baffling. I, I love Coach Cronell. I think he's he's in, incredible, obviously incredibly successful, very personable. But that decision was absolutely baffling to keep Watson in. Why on earth you would keep him in at the end of the game when he's getting absolutely pummeled? They have nothing left to gain from the game. It is beyond me and anyone else. At this point in time, I would like to see more of McCarron purely because, if nothing else, protect Watson and also see if McCarron's worth re-signing next year. And I think that's going to be the theme over a lot of the next few games is testing out a lot, especially with a lot of starters out, is testing out these backups and see who is worth that roster spot next year more than anything because they have not, it, like you said, it's pointless at this point in time. They, they have nothing left to really gain. That there's no pride left to regain at this point. That there's nothing. So, give guys like McCarron a chance. Give guys like Buddy Howe a chance. Scotty Mitchell. I know he's someone that a lot of people have been calling for to be brought up from the practice squad, and he still hasn't got a chance. Well, I'd Scotty love Phillips. to see him play. Sorry, yes, yeah, Scotty Phillips. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I love watching his tape. I think he's he really could be a strong backup, but they're just not giving him a chance. And, and it's absolutely baffling. And don't get me wrong, they've been, they've been doing this all year. I mean, O'Brien said from day one this was going to be a veteran's year, so it was somewhat to be expected. But the fact that that's carried on since he's left is, is surprising, to say the least. Because why on earth wouldn't you give these guys a chance when you've got nothing left to lose? It's, it's completely baffling. Yeah, and there, and there have been rookies that, that have co- contributed in a big way for teams. And if you look at the Colts, you know... Uh... When you when you watch uh, Jonathan Taylor's big touchdown against uh, against the the Raiders in the later window, you know there is players that have come in. I think, and that could have been a pick for the Texans if it hadn't been Blacklock. Um, we saw, you know, as you said, Buddy Howell came in. I thought he he, he ran the ball hard, um, and he looked actually like you know a guy which is is not often we've seen because Texans have had pretty much predominantly older running backs. Um, and I think what you saw there was a guy with a bit of juice in his legs and a bit of a bit of age on his side, um, but he's and he's not necessarily been in the team all year. And he's okay. I know he had the fumble. I think it was Pittsburgh when he came on. He fumbled a snap and he didn't get back in. And he's not had another chance since. And it was one of those ones where they just kept running and draw plays. And obviously the you know the Bears were sitting too high. And you're going to be able you should theory, be able to run the ball a bit better against that when they've got one less man in the box. But I thought he came in and and, and ran uh, and ran hard, and it was it was interesting, you know. Yet more lack of talent evaluation from this previous coaching regime. One of the positions they really struggled with is running back, and I thought that was interesting to see. I thought Keon Crossing, we saw why he probably hadn't played outside corner. Now playing outside corners are very sort of high end skill set, and it's tough to get those positions. Yeah, I think he allowed seven of eight on the day. I mean. I like Keon Cross and he's a good special teamer and he is a hard tackler. I'd kind of like to see him up against tight ends a bit more. But yeah, it, we saw why he's he's kept out of most games on defense, unfortunately. What would you say is slower, Keon Cross and turning his hips or Whitney Merciless spin move at this stage of his career? Merciless. <laughs> and and I hate saying that because I, I think Merciless is a really nice guy. He's He's done a lot of charity work in the area and he's been a good player for the Texans for a long time but apart from a couple snaps this year he has been non-existent him and the other outside linebackers they've been appalling at setting the edge all year and that's been one of their biggest failings and he's just not productive he's, he's being paid at the top of his position and they're, they're not getting any sort of anything out of it, it it's 
it's disappointing again, and it's it's horrific cap management from O'Brien. Well, yeah, that is a funny one, that because, and we've talked about this every week, so I don't want to go from it too. <laughs> and, and, and I've talked about, I've talked about, I genuinely think a, a viable option or a sensible option would be to ask him to retire. And he's been that bad. I mean, that that's how. You know, yeah, I think you'd be you'd, you'd struggle to get somebody to walk away for fifteen and a half million, but. Uh, guaranteed money, so I don't think it's possible. But I think that's about the only logical option because you're, nobody's going to take that contract on, even no. if you paid them. So uh, with picks and what have you, so it's been terrible. But I think overall on the on the defense, you know, we're, we're talking about seeing players. There was a clip I put out, and you've got Jonathan Greenard dropping into coverage. There was another clip I watched where you've got um, you've got Jacob Martin lined up on the outside. So I, it's the linebackers have been terrible this season, but I think they've been asked to do. Too, we've tried to be too cute at times, and I think Weaver has obviously tried to outthink himself and and mix it up too much and ask guys to do too many different roles and probably not got the best at them at times. Although he's been good at you know dialing up um, safety blitzes because you know our front seven just can't generate much pressure. Yeah. Absolutely, and I think that's a good point. I mean, Eric Murray. I mean, he had two sacks this last week. I mean, he's not had a good season, but they've used the DB, DB blitzes very effectively, and I. I do like some of what Weaver's doing. I really do. I mean, they only they only allowed what one, two field goals in the second half. I mean, they they improve as the goes days go on, games go on. They they have done this week on week, especially the second half of this season. There have been marked improvements as the game has worn on and they've settled into their rhythm. But the problem is those slow starts and slow finishes that have held them back, and then just the lack of depth. He's moving guys around so much. I think that's more out of necessity than anything else, just because there is no depth to that squad. Absolutely, especially at this point with so many injuries, there's just there's no options to to turn to backups too often, because the only guys they've got are, are purely at one position or the other. You know, they've got to move guys around just to make it fit, just to make it work. It's disappointing, um, but I think he has come along this year. I do think Weaver will have a future in the league as a DC. I, I do like some of what he's done this year. It's been a steep learning curve, that's for sure. Yeah, I think it's it's tough to judge people when you've got no talent. I think is, you know, I've talked about this for a couple of weeks now and it's, it's clear and, um, you know, that if you don't have talent on defence, there's not much you can do. Um, exactly. And the fact that he's having to to play Omenihu on the inside so much and move Watkins around so much and obviously Watt moving around a lot and even moving Merciless around quite a bit and, and Martin, like you mentioned. I mean, some of that is just trying to be smart and a lot of it, though, is just out of necessity. And like you said, it's just a, a lack of talent because they just don't have any depth. Yeah, and I think what, what frustrated me and you talked about Cornell's comments and I, he actually touched on the fact that they, just, you know, they effectively admitted in Monday's press conference that... He didn't want to make the adjustments they thought might be necessary to stop that play action pass, roll out, um, drop it in at the flat. And I think they counted roughly, I stopped counting them when I got to about 11 or 12 times they ran that play um, in the first and second half Chicago. And they just kept going to it and kept going to it. And you know, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm not a traditionally trained exes in those guys, right? But I think it's quite clear if you crash the edge with bodies, you're going to stop them doing that. And they did it to the weak side every time. And it was, you know, and then they were, obviously they were, they were petrified at who they had out there at corner. So they're sitting deep, predominantly in zone. And then when you're running, you know, a lot of crossers and a lot of short passes like that, it's, you know, it's easy money because you're going to be able to drop it in. And because you, the, 
the guys predominantly in the back end were sitting so deep, they were no, they weren't very close to it. And I think the biggest issue, I think, what you saw in the defense is when they've got to, you know, basically cut right across field at that point and chase the play on the back end to the weak side is we're not very athletic. And I think that's got to be the biggest issue. We've got to look for rangy, athletic linebackers and guys who can, who can, you know, run height, weight, speed. And you know, unnaturally, um, and find those kind of guys up front because we just look kind of sluggish at times. I was going to say, I think the one, the the one player that sort of stands out in terms of that range for me is Terrell Adams. I mean, he's had a really good year for someone who's who's come from bouncing around practice squads. He's fit right in, and he does add a bit more range than someone like McKinney, for example. That's that was a nice change to see someone who's who's a bit more athletic than McKinney, who's your more typical sort of run stuffing big. Um, big middle linebacker. It was kind of nice to see Adams come in. The problem with the Texans going zone and particularly sitting so deep because of their weak backfield is watching someone like Zach Cunningham in pass coverage because as good a tackler as he is most of the time, although his missed tackles are a big problem, he is appalling in pass coverage and that is such a big weakness in his game and it's a big hole in this Texans defense in particular because they just don't really have any linebackers who can help too much in pass coverage. So you're having to ask the likes of Almost like the guys like what, like you mentioned in that one play where he's sprinting across the field. I mean, you're asking too much from the front seven who themselves are struggling. Yeah, I think I'm I'm undecided on Adams because I, I think he's had a lot of tackles and he's filled up the stat, you know, in the box score. And it's easy to watch the box score and think, he's, you know, he's a decent player. But I, I don't know. I just I think he's he's a rotational third or fourth linebacker. Uh, for me, I don't think he should be one of your, you know, predominantly two or even three stars potentially. Um, and if you want, you know, a lot of the depth of his tackles as well, because people are just running through holes. Now, I think, look, at, the, at times he's done a good job, and I think he's a serviceable player. Absolutely. Um, but I think that there's probably a, a sign of how far we're, we've gone away from being a talented team on that side of the ball. If you know, if people are starting to talk about him in you know glowing positive terms, now look, Cunningham's not had a good season. Reed's just gone out for the rest of the season. Um, he had a terrible year. He looked like he turned the corner for a couple of weeks, but he missed a lot of tackles. There was, you know, there was obviously that one in the eight-yard touch. Then there was one where there was a a, a slant inside, and he, he's tried to come and clean the, the receiver out. I think it was Aaron Robinson again, and he's he just completely missed and whiffed on the tackle. You know, and it ends up being a thirty-odd-yard gain. So I, I mean, it's not been a good year for anyone. No. Of any note on the defense, there's two players that I do think have improved though this year. Uh, is Carlos Watkins. I think he's continued to flash every week. Yeah, I'm glad three you or four pl- Yeah, three or four plays I put on Twitter today. I think he's he's just he's finally lived up to that fourth round draft slate. It's taken him four years, so you know, I wouldn't want to bring him back for any more than around the vet min, but I think he's definitely an option. I think a man who's starting to to get there as well, um on the defense. But I you know, and I was talking about this on, on Twitter or something today. On terms of that defense. I don't think we've got a single blue chip player that could be on this team next year. And, I, and and when you think of, you know, we're talking about all the errors that have compiled on this team, you know, from the Kareem Jackson moving on, etc. You know, if you think that was the end of the 2018 team, that's three years we've been led down the garden path in terms of talent erosion. It makes yeah. you think it's probably going to be that again to fix that unit. But of these players, Anthony, who, would you, who do you think are the cornerstones? Because I'm struggling to see any at the minute. I'd have to agree with you. There really aren't too many cornerstones left on this defense. I mean, obviously, someone like Merciless, unless he retires, is going to be here because they're never going to be able to trade away that contract. 
Zach Cunningham with the amount they paid for him, again, he's going to be here regardless of how well or not well he's played this year. Justin Reed, he has had a really mixed year. Like you said, there were a couple games where he looked like his old self. He's had the issue of playing through injuries his first two years. This year, he seemed healthy, but he's he's having to do way too much because Lonnie Johnson is still learning the position. And you, you should not have a starter in there who it's, it just does not know the position too well. And then you look at corner, obviously, and he's having to co- help cover guys there because they're just so weak at corner. I mean, I, Philip Gaines, for me, is, is I, I don't understand how he's on this team. I don't understand how he's in the NFL, to be perfectly honest. He, he has just been appalling. And so Reed is trying to run all over the place, trying to do 10 different jobs at the same time, a bit like Watt. Watt himself, statistically, has not had a particularly great year. But he is a constant threat. I mean, he, he has been pretty consistent in terms of pass, pass rushing presence and in general in defended passes, passes as well. I mean, he's had a, an okay year, certainly not great, certainly not his standard necessarily. But I would expect to see him back next year despite all the rumors and everything. I, I would be surprised if the next GM didn't want to keep him on. They might want to renegotiate. We'll see with a new contract coming up next year, that's going to be key. Um, but I would be surprised if he was gone next year. Other than that, there aren't too many guys. I like Amini Hugh. He still has a long way to go, but he has come on this year. Watkins, like you mentioned, he has come on. But again, you don't want to overspend for him like O'Brien would have, if we're being honest. Other than that, I'm not so sure. PJ Hall is a decent backup. Brandon Dunn is a decent backup. Grenard has had a couple nice plays, but we haven't seen enough of him to really know what to expect. Same with Blacklock. We haven't seen anywhere near enough of him yet. Other than that, Bradley Roby, do you want to keep him on after this year? I don't know. They've paid an awful lot for him and not gotten a huge amount in return. Eric Murray, I can't wait till he leaves at this point in time. Um, Lonnie Johnson, I love his aggression. I love his passion, but he's he's really hit or miss. So it, there aren't too many players, I think, that really, starters at least, that deserve that spot again next year there's going to be a huge turnover and that's one of the reasons why I personally would like to see a defensive head coach yeah I think it's it's such a big rebuild job and I think it's going to be you know sort of three years before you get that unit to be serviceable um I think the Roby deal you know he's lost a fair bit of guarantees in that PED suspension so yes. it maybe gives you a chance to renegotiate and lower that cap number um even further potentially if he's willing to take it because I think when you've got nobody, it's hard to walk away from guys. Like you're saying, like, how can, like, people, you know, there is people talking about what being a foregone conclusion. And you think, well, I don't know how we're going to replace it. You know, we're, you know, no. you know, there could be a scenario where this unit gets even worse without, without, you know, without trying. But then, I mean, like, there is guys that have come in, like Corey Legit, and have actually been serviceable, at, you know, at minimum deals. So you can build some depth, I think, and, and, and just get guys to play better. But, we're not. It's not going to be an easy fix, and and there's a lot of guys on this unit that I, I just I don't I don't necessarily see a, a future for. But I think it, it will depend on how the next scheme is devised and how you want to play, and it might mean it's a complete overhaul of of, of personnel. But certainly on on the basis of what they're being asked to do right now, it feels like it needs to be an overhaul. And I, you, we touched on. Well, I think probably need to talk about this draft class as well because. You know, I think we're talking about Buddy Howell and I saw Andre Weir and uh, John Harris talking about this on Monday and they were saying that there's an opportunity that, or there's a 
or a, quite a big possibility in their eyes that Buddy Hill could be the best running back on that roster. Now, that's true, and that's guys that are close to the team are saying that. I think that shows you how you know badly mismanaged that, that position is. And we're talking I was about, about to say, that says more about the roster than anything else. Yeah, the- and I think... And, you know, and that was a position that regardless of this year that we had, they should have drafted. It should have been, we had, I, 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 was, I was at the draft in Nashville and I remember all of day two and all of day three sitting there going, I can't believe we're taking a, not taking a running back. I can't believe we're yeah. not taking a running back. Um, and it felt like you just needed something to to even the, out the load for Lamar Miller. And then obviously you had Hyde for a year and then, you know, and that position is one of your biggest needs on offense. Um, and you don't know what you've got. You know, Scotty Phillips might be the answer. I don't know. It would seem seem unlikely. Um, but that's going to be one of the biggest needs for the offseason. And I don't think you can't go through the offseason without it. I've seen they've claimed Dante Hilliard in the last couple of hours. I saw that come through on Twitter just before we hit hit the button to the Anthony. And, you know, again, it might be an option, but it's a retread. And But I, we've been so bad at that position. It's... Um, it, it, it's worrying, but even the players we have picked up this offseason, this draft class, I think, is looking a bit of a perilous state at the minute. It is, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Howell again, because I must admit, I wasn't overly surprised when he did a decent job, because if you watch the preseason tapes of him the last couple of years, he's been pretty consistent when given the chance. I mean, he's nothing spectacular. He's not a Jonathan Taylor, but he will get you the yards and he will get the chains moving. And that's really all you can want at this point in time because it's certainly not going to get any worse than, than the Johnsons at this point in time, especially with this this interior O-line. So I wasn't overly surprised to see Buddy Howell do a decent job. He's a good special teamer and, and he has always done well when given the chance. So I'm glad he's getting more of a chance and I'm looking forward to seeing more of that moving forward. But yeah, I mean, running back, I think all fans, all media members alike were surprised and frustrated that they haven't tried to address that position more seriously these last couple of years. I mean, you could argue, obviously, Duke Johnson, David Johnson were were the attempt at that, but uh, it's just, it it frustrates, frustrates me more than anything. The Texans have, if I'm not mistaken, the most expensive running back duo in the NFL. They're making something around, around the lines of 18 million base salary this year alone between the two of them. It's just been appalling. It's embarrassing. They tried to bring back Carlos Hyde last year. They offered him more than he's earning at Seattle by a long shot, and he turned it down. I mean, that was more... I remember talking to John McLean about this. That that sounded more like mismanagement by his agent at the time than anything else, but maybe there was more behind it than than meets the eye, perhaps. It was something to do with East B and O'Brien. We don't know at this point, but running back is going to be one of the biggest holes. Obviously, cornerback we need to look at as well. You could argue safety at this point as well, possibly, although I think a veteran might be a better bet there. Um, this last free agency window, I think the move that the moves rather that hurt the Texans the most were DJ Reader, who they were never going to be able to afford, but also Angelo Blackson. And why they didn't keep him on as a backup is is absolutely baffling. Yeah, I mean I, I, that that sort of line of you can't you know you can't afford them. There's ways and means, and the salary caps are structured, and you can alter you know if. Somebody's willing to take a concession on cash flow, like you saw the the uh, the, the the Chiefs do, you know, with um, with with, with uh, Jones's deal after they signed uh, Mahomes. You know, I think there's there's ways and means, and I would have far rather given that fifty four million deal deal that that Whitney got to to uh, to DJ Reader, and I think you would have got far better value for that. Yeah, um, I mean, let, let me rephrase that then. With O'Brien as as your cap manager and GM, it was never going to happen. 
Yeah, and it was it was just paying the guys that that suited his sort of personality type, and you know I think and if you look at if you look at Blacklock, he's been a disappointment. Um, I just uh, he's he's either on the floor or he's or he's or he's getting spun around, and he's he's obviously look. I think there may be a player in there. I'm not saying there's not, and it's it's been a tough year. It is a tough year to come in. I don't want to you know go back to that. It's a, it's, it's a veteran year because it's not been in some cases where guys are coached well. And I think that that omission was actually. I don't think we've got the ability to coach them rather than any any rookie in this draft class wasn't able to come and contribute um, from from the, the points that we were picking. Grenard again, I just think he's not been used. And as you said, in the last three games, you want to see you know those guys. And obviously, John Reed's neck injury was just so unfortunate this week because he would have got some game time to play. Um, and John Reed, I really and, think, has been not necessarily an unsung hero, but he, he's had some good snaps this year. I really do think there's a player there, not as a starter, but certainly as a backup, that there is someone there. They just, they're not, when he wasn't injured, at least, they weren't giving him the snaps. Yeah, but did, I mean, what did he get? I think it was about 20-odd snaps in the first half against Kansas City in week one, and then he played at the end of the, the Colts game. But bar that, you know, it's, it's been special teams out and only. So, you know, there's a gap that you know there could be a guy in there, but we just don't know. Just like we're talking about the running backs and and all that and all those positions that we just would like answers for. And I think, you know, Coulter, I think he got six snaps, and I was struggling to find them on tape when I was going through them, um, just to see, you know, have even a glimpse of them. And uh, and then you've got, you know, and then you've also got, you know, Kahali Wiring as well, who who came in and. You know, I I don't. I mean, he actually ran a. He ran, I mean, there was two routes that I noticed them because when he comes on, I, I I do try and yeah, you know, get a handle from. There was one where where he um where he actually he, he ran a good route and uh, he's he's cut inside and actually if Watson just gives a bit more patience, he he, he actually probably throws him for a sort of ten fifteen yard gain. And then there was a couple of other ones where he was actually open and Watson just didn't look his way. And I think trust is a big thing with Watson. Um, but Definitely. you know, just I mean, like we were handsome. Yeah, and he's got there, and I think in Stephen Mitchell, you know, played a lot of snaps because Brandon Cooks wasn't there, so his snaps went right up. So, with the the Cooks factor, him not being on the field was big. But I think just like we were talking about Justin Reed on the other side of the ball, it was evident there was probably at least five or six plays that I picked out on Twitter today that Watson was just trying to do too much. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's what these. Him, him, Reed, and and what they're trying to rescue this team. They're trying to carry the team on their backs, and it's it's so disappointing to have to watch that. Waring's a frustrating one because coming out the draft last year, I know it wasn't a position of need, and a lot of people suggested that they pick too high for him, which I get. But he's got all of the measurables you could want. I mean, he he is incredibly athletic, extremely agile, a big guy. But really quick, I'd love to see more of him, but they just haven't given him the snaps. And like you said, trust is so big to Watson. Listen to how he talks about Chad Hansen, Stevie Mitchell, Kiki QT. There's a lot of trust there that they've built over the last couple of years. And obviously wearing being out all of last year, they just haven't really built that trust too much. And then him not playing most of this year and being on IR again, they just haven't had that that time to bond between the two of them. So at this point in time, do you start to look at wearing as possibly a bust? And is he even going to make the team next year? But then you look at tight end in general, and that's another position that I remember last year was a really strong group for Houston. It was a case of, well, who's going to make this team? Because there's a whole bunch of guys who could make the position. This year, they've all been disappointing. Aiken's post-injury has gone way down in yards after the catch. And in general, I mean, look, again, we go back to that touchdown, potential touchdown last week. Darren Fells hasn't done anywhere near as much last year as last year. But again, they're obviously using him differently as well. His blocking has been pretty terrible this year especially considering that's something he was known for at one point. 
Farrow Brown has had a couple good snaps, but again, he had that tweet that I know a lot of people are questioning. And then you look at some of his plays, they've not been great. And then wearing, and it's like, well, is tight end another position that they're going to have to completely redo after this year or the next? That's It's disappointing considering, you know, at one point we had Jordan Thomas in there as well. Jordan Aikens was supposed to be promising and Darren Fells. And then you've got Kahale Waring and a bunch of other guys. It's It's disappointing to watch. Yeah, it felt like again for another week in a row. I mean, because I think when Aikens came back against the Patriots, he had a great game. Whereas this week, it was there was just not enough going. You know, looking to the tight ends, there was a number of times where he could have had Darren Fells just for a short gain, and then they would be taking a loss or the ball was thrown away. And and there was a couple of throws in the last couple of games where he's just been off timing wise with them. But I think the overall theme I took out the game was instead of just taking, particularly on the safety as well, actually, because I uh, there was a. I think it was Steve Mitchell was open for whatever reason he didn't take um the same even on the same play that uh we were talking about where he got the 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 the, the elbow from Raquan Smith into the um from his helmet into his elbow. There was Duke Johnson was right there and he just had to drop it into him and it was a touchdown. So you know, there was a number of things went wrong. And I think when your quarterback comes off you know, off his form that he'd been on, particularly when we're a team so reliant on that one player, I think everything starts to look worse. So I'm not too concerned about the tight ends, but I think the fact that that Farrell Brown, Farrell Brown rather, was off this week with concussion, why they didn't give all the all the snaps to Kahali Waring and say, look, you're the primary blocker this week, a role that Brown's come in and taken since he's joined the team this week. Or, or this year, sorry, and then he's you know been out this week. Why they just didn't give him all the snaps and go look, your lead blocker on every play here, and uh, and let's let's see what you can do if they do that in the next couple of weeks. We'll see. Uh, but I think yeah, I think this draft class has got to be a concern, and and you know possibly twenty nineteen as well, looking that way as well, because you know Watson touched on it in the game. I know that uh, Tim Kelly talked about it being a a Mike Devlin feature or, or idea, but you've got Brent Cavalli starting at left guard, again, not giving Max Sharp in the, the game time. And you've got Watson talking about it, saying, look, this must be difficult for him. And I, I don't know what to make of that because it feels like there's nothing to be gained by that. And all we're doing is creating more problems for ourselves. It was nice to hear Watson speak out about that, I must admit, because he obviously sympathizes with his guys up front. And Sharping had a good rookie year. He was pretty solid for the most part. He's regressed this year. There's there's no questioning that. But also, when you're constantly being pulled, it's hard not to. Because there's no flow. There's no rhythm to your game. There's no sort of cohesion with the guys next to you if they're constantly swapping you out. Because each guy lines up differently. Every guy's stance is different. Every, time, every guy attacks the block slightly differently. So if there's no continuity, you're never going to get a rhythm going. And, and that's going to affect the whole offense, especially up front. It, it's, it's just frustrating. And, and talking about draft classes, the one that really, really frustrates me, and I only really thought about this a couple of weeks ago. If you look back to where Charlie Heck was picked last year, obviously why they picked him, I have no idea. Traded but up. They gave him two sevenths to get They him. did, yeah. And, and I think three, two or three picks later, Gabriel Davis went to the Bills. And you look at what they've managed to get out of him, it's just, oh, it's for goodness sake. I mean, imagine if they'd gone for someone like that or just even late on if they'd gone for someone like James Robinson. Look what he's doing in Jacksonville. I mean, there are so many guys that have been able to come in this year despite it being a sort of veteran's year, as they call it. Look at the amount of guys like him who have been able to come in, even in, in undrafted free agency, and, and been able to make a, an impact. Houston's whole draft structure this year and last year, again, Carly Waring wasn't a need. Charlie Heck wasn't a need. 
Isaiah Coulter, was he really a need? Not, not so much, especially not given how much coaching he clearly needs to get to where they want him to be. So why they're not ad addressing positions of need first is, is baffling. So you've got to look at not just, obviously, Easterby and O'Brien, but you've also got to look at perhaps the scouting staff and, and why they're grading certain guys the way they are. Yeah, and that, that's probably the, the biggest fear, isn't it? Because I think I'm always a believer you shouldn't draft upon needs. You should always take the best player available and you, you, your needs should be filled at least to some degree of, of comfortability through free agency. But I, I think with the dropping cap and all the decisions we're going to have to make, we're not going to be able to do that and probably will be forced to draft by need. But I think in 2019, we did draft by need. Um, and OK, maybe taking Titus Howard first round. I mean, he's been up and down. It wasn't a good game from the Sunday. Uh, but the two the two second round picks who should be core points of your roster by now in Sharper and Johnson, Lonnie. Um yeah, it's not great, I think. And it 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 brings up more questions at this stage than it than it than it does answers, I think. And and, and so I, I don't know where this leaves us at this point. And these games I think, you know, they're tough to watch and we'll see if there's you know, if we can, you know, get back to even some of the levels on on uh on Sunday that we did in the previous week against the Colts, but I think the big difference was that they they didn't they didn't really sit down in the zones and give them a lot of you know easy zone throws from Hansen and Kiki, and that's what the Colts did the week prior. They play a lot of zones. They got those big athletic linebackers of Walker and Darius Leonard, and they, they they played Houston a bit differently. And I think just like the offensive game plan, we were out coached, um, and I don't think Eberflus will give us the same kind of you know not free ride, but he certainly made a lot of easy throws in, in the holes and Watson was zipping it in uh, in the week prior. And I think that was just it was just a difference of style. And I think when Watson plays against his own, sometimes we're empty sets, he goes and picks his, picks his part, picks his part. But I think there wasn't a lot of guys getting wide open now. Look, you've got to take what the defence gives you. And he wasn't doing that. He was overplaying, getting back to some of his old habits that he was at the end of 2019. And, you know, I think it's, it's a tough way to, to lose a game and just to kind of deflate an already deflated season. Um, you know, it, it felt like it was just a, another step back and then, you know, all these problems that we may or may not have, you, you start to look at them probably in a bit more of a negative, or not negative, but more of a more of a questioning light, I think, than you would have otherwise. Without a doubt, but I have to admit, slightly off topic, but it just reminded me, one guy that, I've got to give a little bit of a shout out to has got to be Chad Hansen. I mean, he hadn't played since 2017. He had 101 yards and then he was their leading receiver this week as well with 56, I think. I mean, not spectacular and he's certainly not a starting receiver, but talk about taking your chances. I mean, if anything remotely positive has come out of these last couple of weeks, it's been him. I mean, he, he's been pretty solid. You've got to give it to him. I thought his best play actually, it was, I think it was, yeah, I think it was the second last drive. And they had put a backup corner in at that point. And, and, and just on a side note, talking about picking up corners, you know, the Bears got Jalen Johnson from Utah, a guy who's a pretty decent season for a rookie, all, all in. Um, and he's out there causing issues and who guys, who our guys weren't getting open against. And uh, and you can find players in sort of the second and third round. Um, but he was, but going back to the Hanson point, he was up against it. It was a nice back shoulder fade. He did a, a, a nice job of boxing the, the corner out um, and he wasn't familiar with on tape and uh, he's he's just come back to the ball and, and, and it was a decent gain. Now look, it was in garbage time, etc. But he's shown a number of different skill sets that he can be an asset to Watson. Um, and I, I think that as well. I think you've got to, we've got to be, you know, I think hopefully we'll get Fuller back at that position next season if you, you know, if we can get the business side of it to work out in terms of the contract and the PDs might have, you know, 
deflated his value a bit and suppressed that to the point we can get him on a bit of a discount to come back with his favourite QB. But I think guys like Kiki and, and Hansen, I think the guys, they're definitely in contention to be on the roster and if not make a contribution because I don't think Watson needs the best, you know, if he's playing in a way that he should do. And I don't think he did that on Sunday, but it was going to be a test, wasn't it? Could he do that for a second week in a row with this no-name cast? And that's probably the, the concern. Now, whether we'll get to see that or not in the remaining three games remains to be seen. And I think one of the vague, vague sort of bright spots that has come out of this last couple of weeks, with the likes of QT and Hansen doing pretty well, and, and even Stevie Mitchell to an extent doing a little bit to help, with Fuller's suspension, combine that with the likes of Hansen doing relatively well, I think it does throw into question a little bit at least how much Fuller's going to make next year because you go. Well, Hansen's also, and Kiki QT is also able to to produce with with Watson, and he doesn't clearly doesn't need necessarily the the stars to be able to produce. Not saying that I don't want fullback, I absolutely do, but I think if anything, this might help Houston in terms of being able to negotiate his salary for the next couple of years and perhaps knock him down just a little bit, especially with the salary cap situation coming in next year. It's going to be vital to be able to to get any dollars anywhere they can. So Bradley Roby, obviously, you mentioned that will help them if they do decide to keep him. And then with Fuller, with with Chad Hansen, Kiki QT doing pretty well, and Fuller suspension, I think that knocks his value down at least a little bit. So that might help Houston's GM moving forward. Yeah, I was I was doing a sort of Twitter conversation this morning, and I think one thing I I, I think I've learned this year and. It's a lesson that probably stuck me when you're talking football in general, but I think we, I think we all learned a harsh lesson this year because you know you can talk about being positive or negative. I think you just it comes down you know there's a harsh reality in this league that we've been bitten badly this year as we sit before you know with four wins, um, and two of them against a team that are tanking. So that you know this this team is not good, and I don't think enough people probably saw it for what it was. And I think it's easy to, you know, to talk it up and, you know, you've got to have an element of people want to watch it and read it and hear it. But I think what I've learned this season is you're either talented or you're not. And I don't think there's a huge amount in between there. There's tears within that talent. Um, but I, but a lot of the shortcomings, particularly on the de- defensive side of the ball, were maybe overlooked just a little bit too much. And I think we, what we'll need to, and what, you need to base your roster, and I think was O'Brien's biggest flaw. You know, you talk about these these guys that they picked up off waivers, and you know they've done some small things. And you, you know, we were hoping our pass rush was going to be based around Charles Amenehu and Jacob Martin, and you know, and they're all guys who are potentially role players. They're not, you know, they're not ass kickers in the trenches, and you need on the line of scrimmage on either side. You need guys that are going to go and dominate the game and influence the game. Um, and we just don't have that, um, you know. That's clear, you know, on either side of the ball. Um, and so, I think one thing that I've learned this season is that you've got to understand there's talent and there's players that are not talented. And thinking we're going to fill DJ Reader's gap by Brandon Dunn, and and then you thought it was blanks, and then he went as well. And then you're going to bring a, a sec, you know, a second round pick and and fill all these holes. I think you've got to understand this is going to be a process and. And, you know, there's a difference between being NFL caliber difference makers. And you can get lucky in the draft. You mean, look at Chase Claypool, et cetera. There's been a number of examples this year. You can get lucky at certain positions, receiver and running back being the two. But there's certain positions that we need to fill, like cornerback, like edge rusher, 
and anybody on the front seven that can make a difference for us just to try and get back to a level of competitiveness. And that's that's probably what worries me, I think, the more I think about it. And I think the thing, sort of talking on the on the subjects of things that we've learned this year, I think for me it has to be don't let the preseason fool you. Don't let the build-up fool you too much. I think it's very easy. Preseason, in some ex- to some extent, is one of the better times of year purely because almost all fan bases will be under the impression that their team has improved to some extent that preseason, whether it's because of free agency signings, whether it's coaching changes, GM changes, draft choices, whatever it may be, every fan base, a lot of media people will think, right, this is our year. This is the year where we're going to take a step up, a step forward, because we brought this guy in and this guy in and so on and so forth. And then week one comes and suddenly it's a reality hits and, and it's back to normal. So to some extent, preseason, I think is great. But at the same time, Try don't let it fool you. I was under the impression, and I'll admit this, that heading into this season, that as much as I was disappointed Hopkins was gone, and as much as I disagree with that trade, that with Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller, Randall Cobb, you know, all of these guys, you can list off the names, David Johnson, that suddenly David Johnson was going to thrive in this system, and that this sort of almost swarm offense approach would would work and it was it was the it was the goal moving forward and it was going to work for Watson and we were going to get the best out of him and obviously that didn't happen I think it's very easy to get caught up in that in preseason so I think moving forward it's going to be very important over the next couple of years in particular with the new GM and his first couple of drafts and so on to be very cautious in preseason and off season in getting too excited and too built up around that team and always try and keep that sort of sense of realism in the, in the back of your mind yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, I think it was there, the signs were there and people touched upon it. And I think it, it's, uh, it comes at you hard and fast, this league. And there's a lot of new guys and a lot of new coaches and a lot of new ideas. And if you don't keep moving with it, you'll be left behind. And we've definitely been left behind this year at many points. And obviously we travel to Indianapolis this week and it'll be interesting to see how we how we come out and if we can, if, if the team is, you know, completely deflated. And I think, you know, fumbling on the two is a hard thing to come back from mentally when you should have won a game of a team who were, you know, talked about it being, a, you know, and statistically were a top five defence in the league. And it was a good performance overall that day. It just just didn't quite come together. Um, and then it, you have that bit of a hangover and we'll see where they, you know, where they go, what kind of team they'll roll out. If any guys will get a chance, I hope they do. Uh, but I, I can't see it, to be honest. I wouldn't be surprised if David Johnson comes back and he starts picking up the, the majority of the carries and we just kind of see similar um, feats of what we've seen you know, in, in, in weeks prior that's not really yielded any results for us. This is where it turns out, isn't it, that in two weeks' time we're, we're eating our words and David Johnson has 200 yards from scrimmage, isn't it? <laughs> Well, I, I just think just give the guys a chance now. You know, I, 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 you know, you can see Cornell's almost talking about positively that he's, you know, not excited, but you know, he's he's coming back and and he's gonna he's gonna you know take the fair share of the carries and I think Duke Johnson looked like he was banged up a bit and I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think we've got nothing to lose now. It's 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 all risk free. You know, when you touched upon that at the start, it's almost like you're worth you're as well trying to treat these. Uh, next three games, not quite like preseason games, but maybe the fourth preseason game, and you you sprinkle in people who haven't had a lot of snaps as the game progresses. If you're not necessarily in it now, I I don't know where I sit on the the, the Watson coming out because I think is if if Aitken catches that pass at the Sunday's eyes, that you know he doesn't get hit. I thought the the pass protection early was okay. Um, 
it just dwindled and you know but i, I think you know stop you know messing about with the with the guards and and just let you know the best five linemen play the best five linemen is not senio Kilimenti. um and you know you think even a guy like greg mansk has been sitting on the the practice score all year is going to stick him in at right guard because he can't do any worse than Zach Fulton. And they went after Zach Fulton. And on that safety that they gave up on Sunday, it was it was just Killio Mack basically being told like Fulton's the weakest, the weakest link in this line, and that includes Cavale. <laughs> so go after him. So for Sunday, I, I it's it's a tough one, but I just want to I just want to see you know potential green shoots for you know next year and beyond and. If we're not seeing that, you've got to kind of question what, what's the point of even watching it, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm glad you mentioned Fulton as well, because they've been coming after him all season. I mean, he's had a couple of decent snaps here and there, don't get me wrong, but he, he is backup level at best. He, he is just not a starter in the league. And why Devlin has stood by him all this time doesn't make a great deal of sense, but then again, most of what Devlin does doesn't make sense, if we're being honest. Why they're constantly pulling Sharping doesn't make a great deal of sense either. Why they haven't played Greg Manx at all it is confusing in of itself. So, I mean, there's there's a whole lot of, of question marks up front, and, and it's going to be interesting to see what the next GM does in terms of both guards. I think Nick Martin is pretty... He's not a top... He's being paid as a top five center he's not a top five center but he he's safe in his position moving forward i would think it, it's the guards that could at least one of them if not both of them i suspect will probably change under this new gm yeah. that's going to be interesting to watch look i mean put put this the this and here we go at the old line again but it's an it's a, it's quite a, a it's a fascinating topic in the sense of how badly it's been mishandled similar to the running backs but there was a there was a, a sack the sack prior to the safety Tunsil ushers them inside. The 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 fourth down lineman on the on the on the right hand side, if you're facing the with the Texans formation, drops back into coverage. Therefore, you've left one rusher. I guess there's a three man rush. You've left one rusher against three linemen. And Nick Martin does not even look to his left to see where he needs to help because it was you know it was it was man on man. Cavill does a decent job of holding up his guy. And um, Tunsil ushers him inside, and, and Nick Martin just leaves a big gaping hole, and he's done that so many times this season. Um, and that's that's not I, 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 like, and you could we can like Mike Devlin's not a good coach. Everybody knows that, but the guy that's getting paid eleven million dollars to do that, and he's not even looking for work. Like he does make the initial block at the point of attack, but he, there has to, like there has to be something in his in his in his, in his head there that, that goes. I'm going to have to take a quick look to my left to see if I need to do anything when they've got, you know, two other teammates effectively just standing in front of the, you know, the one individual rusher. And it, and it was just, it's just small plays like that that just kill drives and do so many things. And I, and, you know, and look, Zach Fulton has not been good, but I, I, I struggle to think, you know, there's many people that thought when he was at Kansas City, he was a better center than he was a guard. And for some reason we wanted to play him at guard and that's failed. And everything we've done pretty much with the offensive line, in, in 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 some form or another, and include tons on that has been a failure to a degree, like just many of these last sort of two years roster decisions. But it feels like you know you've got the 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 uh, the guy Fialtard, I think if you pronounce it on the you know that was at the Patriots. Just stick him in at right guard and see what he does. You know, and he can't be that worse. But just play sharping and let the other guys just play together as a unit. But it's um you know, and you've got you've got a big front against you next week with Buckner, Grover Stewart. 
and uh, and Justin Houston. So it's, it's not going to be an easy outing. And I think when you go to that game, that's probably where the questions come in about Deshaun playing or not. But I, I'm kind of in two minds. I think you play him, but if the game's not going well or you're say three or four, you know, three plus scores down, then you think you take him out and play McCarron. Yeah, and the interior offensive line, they've been doing that all year in terms of focusing just on their one guy that they're blocking, not looking to the side. All three of them have been doing that all season long, and that's a coaching issue more than anything. I know that Cronell, obviously, in his interviews, he always puts so much emphasis on do your job first, win your block first, then look from there. To an extent, yes, that's absolutely the case. But at the same time, like you mentioned, they're ignoring the guys to their sides. They're not looking to see who's being shoved inside from the tackles. I mean, the tackles, I think, yes, they've had some bad snaps throughout the year, but they've both done a decent job for the most part. They're being let down by the inside who are just not not aware of anybody else around them. And that's been an issue since day one. And that, again, just comes down to bad coaching in my mind. And I completely agree. I would like to see some changes inside as much as I'd like, love to see some cohesion, some sort of fluidity in terms of week to week, keep the same guys in. That's not going to happen at this point. And there's not much to be gained at this point from doing that. You might as well test out some other guys and see who's worth keeping for next year as depth more than anything. I'm, I'm surprised people don't run more stuff, um, stunts and twists on us because every time you do it, it seems to bear fruit and, I think there is a coaching element of that, but I think, you know, if you listen to Wade Smith, if you listen to those guys, you know, that were in that, you know, vintage line, they said they played together so much that you didn't even need to, you know, speak to guys. You just give them a nod and they knew what you meant and you, they were able to hand off, you know, hand off the blitzers and then, you know, slide in to keep, you know, to keep that wall in the QB and maintain that pocket integrity. I think that's, that's the biggest reason why we're probably talking about this is just because, you know, I don't think the pass protection has been that bad. The run, uh, the the run blocking has been all season. Um, and then I think when you're think, talking about changing it, then that's probably what makes you be concerned that Watson's going to take unnecessary hits. But I think that there's a there's a big part of it, and there's a an onus on him as well to get rid of the ball and not try and make plays in these games, um, and just throw the damn thing away if it's not there. Isn't it disappointing that we've gone from Smith, Brown, Winston, Myers, Derek Newton, I mean, to this? Isn't that just so disappointing? If you look back and hear from guys like Smith and you think, oh, what could have been? Well, that goes right back to, I mean, and again, revising history, but look, there's nothing to talk about these games, so may as well. <laughs> if you think of the a ready-made line at that stage, when, when O'Brien first came to town, you had... You know, and it was the worst move of the probably the era since Watts has been here. You got rid of, uh, you got rid of Brown at uh, at left tackle, and then you had left guard. You had uh, Ben Jones, and we had Suafilo, but then you also had Ben Jones in there at centre at times. And then when when Myers retired, but yeah, but when he first came, and Ben Jones was at left guard, and Myers was in uh center and Myers retired you moved Jones in at center you plugged in Sewerfield who was a high pick and drop then you had Brandon Brooks okay I know he's got a lot of health and mental or field issues and it's struck you know it's it's curtailed his career but an all pro guard highest paid guard but again he's been injured all year probably unlucky and then you had Derek Newton I think in the 2016 season when they lost Derek Newton and I was in Denver that night when I watched them tear both his knees out against Von Miller that was and then you then, then you lost then you fell out unnecessarily with Dwayne Brown. 
I think not enough was paid attention to that. Those those small moves at times, and it can be some something as simple as a, a you know a seventh round pick and Derek Newton that that panned out. But then when you lose a player like that, dominoes start to fall on roster composition. I think, and it's probably you know you could argue it's it, it's if you think of the quality of roster at twenty fourteen. Arian Foster, you know, there was Andre Johnson still on the team. Hopkins is a first-year player. If you think of all that, all the roster moves that have been made, there's not many you could say that we've brought in players and have definitively replaced guys that have been of quality and have been long-term successful players. All we've done really is hold on to some guys who have aged. Yeah, and there's been a couple sort of band-aids here and there. Tyron Matthew, obviously, for a year, had a good year and that that's unfortunately been the case pretty much in O'Brien's entire time here. I mean, Carlos Hyde is another one who came in, did well for a year, and then he was gone. I mean, they just haven't been able to, like you said, they have not been able to find many long-term replacements. And, and I'm really hoping that this next GM is a change from that. And, and again, that sort of brings me back to my point of preseason is great in that regard because for, at least for, the, for a couple of months, everything looks like it's going to improve. And, and I think it's going to be key for fans to sort of enjoy that while they can because... Who knows if it's going to work or not? I, I know who I'd like it to be brought in as GM, but do I know for certain if they're going to work or not? Absolutely not. We we won't know until we test it. So, yeah, it, it's it's been a disappointing few years. It's been a disappointing direction that the team decided to go in, and they've clearly trusted in the wrong people, and you could argue that's still the case now. We just have to hope that the culture changes enough over the coming months that they can move away from this era and... and Build on what they do have in in Watson, for example. Just something I've just noticed up just now. Just flashed up my phone. It's a couple hours old, but it was in the MMQB. Just while we're sort of revising history here, as it's all kind of lost. But um, apparently, there was Albert Breer and Monday Morning Quarterbacks reported that that, and this comes out now. I think after the, the fact that that Diggs has had a good year, but the Texans offered Minnesota to swap. Hopkins for Diggs, but the Minnesota Vikings declined due to due to salary cap implications. What do you think of that? I'm curious. I'm trying to think of how Texans fans would have reacted to that. Personally, Diggs has had a great year, and he has been a solid player for years in the league and underrated for a while. Would I swap him for Hopkins? No, it would depend entirely on what the draft capital would have been involved in that trade as well, but because I know Minnesota's cap situation isn't great either, so it's not surprising they didn't bite on that, but it certainly would have panned out better than David Johnson, let's put it that way. And and then would they have gone for Brandon Cooks? Well, yeah, probably not, I think. And then you've got that extra second-round pick that you could plug into your deal. I mean, not it would have been a good one, I think, by the track record <laughs> of, the, of that draft, but it could have been very different, I think. But Breer outlines a big comment, I think, or a good comment on that actually, in terms of the draft, because actually, if and that were the importance of the draft, but if you think Hopkins at 28, and I know, look, Texans should have kept him, right? And that should have been, that should have been something that, uh, something that they should have, they should have looked at um, and just made it work. But if you think Hopkins is on 7 million this year, he's got 12 and a half, 25, 27, then 22.67 with those extensions. That he signed, but Justin Jefferson, who's coming at twenty-one, done a great job, um, and that you know, and you know, an eerily similar player, Adam Thielen, but suits what they do, and he's a, a great example of, you know, a, 
a rookie performing this year, but his cap hits 2.39, 2.98, 3.5 and 4.2. You know, so I think the, the difference in that, it just shows you if you can draft well and, and it, it makes a big, you know, it can make a sizable difference, particularly on a roster for us that, you know, the, you know, the, the, the way in which we build this roster now has forever changed because we've traditionally had rosters where we've not been paying a quarterback. No, think... But his his deal wasn't market leading. But now we've got Deshaun, we're paying him, we have to live our life and pay our bills and build our rosters differently now. Especially with the salary cap dropping next year, it's going to be absolutely vital that the Texans make the most out of dra- the draft and undrafted free agency in particular. Whoever they bring in has got to have a strong track record of scouting and has got to be able to find whether it's a top-level talent in the first or second round or that hidden talent late on and again we go back to sort of Claypool and James Robinson this year as examples they, they've got to absolutely nail these next couple of drafts if the Texans have any chance of, of being a playoff caliber Super Bowl caliber team anytime soon they've got to absolutely nail it because let's be honest Rick Smith had some decent draft picks he had an okay track record never quite got over that hump Obviously, Brian Gain, we saw what happened there. O'Brien, we saw what happened there. They, they've got to bring someone in who can make the most out of the very little capital they've got to work with. It is going to be a hard sell, I think, in some regards, especially then you throw in Easterby and so on and so forth. It's going to be tricky. Do you have any um, preferences for GM or head coach? Personally, the guy I keep leaning towards is Joe Hortiz over at, in Baltimore. He's got a great track record of scouting. He's been there a long time. He's at. He's been working alongside guys like Ozzie Newsom, and and he's clearly highly rated by the team. Um, Brandon Hunt over at the Steelers. I'd love the Texans to give him a try, um, but it looks like he's in line to take over there as GM. If we're being perfectly honest, um, yeah, I think it's it's highly likely he's going to take over there at this point from everything I've seen and read. Um, but he used to work for the Texans, so who knows? Maybe they could convince him to come back, but I highly doubt it. Um, and then obviously you look at. Borgonzi over the Chiefs. I think he's obviously the favourite at this point. He's he's the most popular name, and I can understand why. So, would I be against that? No, not at all. Um, he's got a great track record. And then could he bring in someone like the enemy? I mean, if you want an offensive-minded head coach, he's obviously the guy that we've heard that Watson has backed, and Michael Irvin said earlier on in on Sports Radio six ten that that he's the guy he would back for the job. Personally, I'd prefer a defensive-minded head coach. I, I love the thought of Robert Sala coming in. Because think about coaches who have done a lot with a little. You look at the amount of injuries they've had this, this year over in San Francisco, and the amount he's still been able to do with it. And then you listen to you listen to someone like Richard Sherman talk about him so passionately and how he's able to adapt on the fly so quickly. And then again, he's obviously got a track record with Houston as well. So those those are my guys that jump out. Um, I think the Texans are lucky in a way to be to be changing when they are because there are a lot of candidates that you could throw out there. Um, Adam Peters over at the 49ers is another guy to look for. Um, Ryan Calvin, possibly at the Titans, another one to look for. Ed Dodds at the Colts, possibly, um, in terms of GMs. And then Quinton Harris at the Cardinals. I think someone he's someone down the line could be worth looking at as well. And then you look at coaching candidates. I mean, do you look at Aberflus? Do you look at Brady? I mean, there, there's plenty of guys that they could consider. And I think there are a lot of strong candidates this year. So they're lucky to be changing when they are because they're not if you take Watson out of the equation this isn't a particularly 
desirable job when you compare it to other teams in, on the whole. So they're lucky that their pool to pick from is, is arguably so big. Yeah, I think one thing that got pointed out, I saw this week and I've seen a number of times, but I think you've got to remember when we're going through this process that 2014, we probably got the, the most sort of trendiest, flashiest pick. Um, and that was an individual from Penn State called William O'Brien. So I think you've got to be, <laughs> you know, things can change in a hurry. And I, 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 I saw this week, you know, I was actually looking back at some articles of 2014 just to kind of get a feel for what the media was, you know, you know, because look, a lot of it, a lot of this is all agents phoning up media members and saying, "Look, I need you to put my client, you know, X in the, the window for job Y," and that's just how the industry works, right? We all know that. It's, it's yeah. just how you know things, how the wheels turn. That's how people get scoops. That's how they get exclusives and what have you. Um, but a bit a big name at the time in 2014, coming off the Johnny Football kind of stuff, was Kevin Sumlin. Now Kevin Sumlin is at the Aggies. He, you know, he, he was there, one of the highest paid coaches in college football. Kenneth Sowers there, and then he moves on to Arizona State, which he's now been, you know, he's been relieved of his duties, fired, whatever you want to call it, this week. And he's a guy you think, well, you know, he was a big coach in high, but if you got a defensive minded guy, I think the the biggest issue is you've got to get a big OC name to come in, a guy that. That um that somebody's uh somebody's really interested in it's going to you know change the team and you think you know that'd be a great you know be a, a coup for the coach if you could get a respected name like that you know like Kevin Sumlin and to come in and just run the offense so you know it yeah you're right there's a world of possibilities out there um I think yeah I've, I've, I've my levels of optimism or or faith in Cal dwindle by the day I think and. Whether he messes this up and the Tony Dungy comments last week were excellent. You know, basically said like the guy doesn't know what he wants, and uh, I couldn't help him until he does work that out. So, so that that's a worry. Um, and I listened to Robert Sala last week talking to um, to Adam Schefter, and he's quite an impressive guy. Um, you know, and he, as he said, he's already been in the building, and you know, there's a good chance that he could bring some of these coaches out. I wouldn't be surprised if Dan Quinn or Gus Bradley, if he gets fired, comes in with him. Um, to, to run to run that side of the ball, um, I I think there's a good chance chance of that because he talked about them and he talked about a lot of the time his time at Seattle as well and how that changed them as much. So you know you could see him looking to that building for people in there to to come and to come and work with them. Now a name that was linked to the Texans pre-game as you seems to be this weekly update. There was no Easterby updates this week because you often get those, but I think everybody's out of them now because it's all been laid bare. But an update was. I think it was from Adam Schefter. I can't remember. One of the insiders in very comments. Anyway, they floated out the name that Corn Ferry have recommended Schottenheimer from obviously is famous over his father. Won't be one of Hall of Fame worthy coaches. Um, he's been around a bit, Schottenheimer. What did you think of that link? Surprised to an extent, because um, if you look at his track record, it's not particularly impressive if you go back a few years but then again you also got to look at the QBs he's had to work with over that time not necessarily a name I would link with the job but I think at this point in time in particular you are going to hear absolutely every name under the sun Rick Smith this morning for example was mentioned with the Lions I think he's interviewed um, John Dorsey's been thrown out there in terms of coming back into things we've heard Oh, what was his name? We've heard a whole all sorts of guys have been brought out of the cracks. The former Giants GM, that was it. He's been oh, thrown Jerry out. Jerry Reese, well. yeah. That, yeah. That's an interesting one. Yeah, that's I an mean, agent again, isn't it? Get, exactly. Get yeah. I mean, yeah. We're going to hear 
anyone and, and everyone being mentioned just because agents are going to be, like you said, they're going to throw absolutely everyone out there and see who we can, who bites. And my concern is, is McNair just going to be won over by fancy talk more than anything? Because that seems to be, that's the impression I think that he's giving off at least at this point in time is that someone like Easterby, who is not qualified to be in that position, can come in and win it purely with smooth talk. And that is not going to help the Texans. They need they need someone with a proven track record, and I, that, that's my biggest concern at this point. Schottenheimer, I don't know enough in detail about his track record to really be able to judge as to whether he would be a good pick for that position. From the brief amount of research I've done since I heard that rumour, my instinct is no, but I could well be wrong. He's, he's been coached since his 97, I think, and you think he's 47 now. And... If you see if you see how quickly you know uh, Tim Kelly or Anthony Weaver have reached the OC or DC position, or you know, or the, you know, being in charge of that side of the ball, you know, he's certainly done a lot more. You know, he's certainly put some more coals on the fire than you know, in football terms, than than those two guys. Um, I think that you know, I, I mean, look, it's Russell Wilson, isn't it? It's the same as. The enemy having you know been part of a successful exactly. there was a quote, quote, but there was a was a quote from Andy Reid saying you know my play calling at the weekend and talking about you know in the lead up to that game so so there's yeah I th- yeah it, it's so tough to get it right and I think he's, and I think it is unique in the sense that there's a lot of people that are being flouted as head coaches if this corn fairy slash number of you know, it was called a committee, but we found out very quickly it wasn't a committee. <laughs> There's so many ways in which I know Cal didn't use the phrase committee, but it didn't. It wasn't again. It wasn't a great look. But there are so many ways this could go. It's you know there would suggest there's a lot of room, you know a lot of room for error, but there's so much at stake, and that's you know on games like Sunday there, and probably this Sunday in all honesty is uh, is going to probably show there's a lot at stake. And that's that's my biggest. That's my biggest concern about about enemy as well. I'm glad you mentioned that. Is that his track record prior to Mahomes wasn't particularly impressive. It wasn't outstanding at all. And that's the same problem that they're going to have with Schottenheimer. Is how much is down to the QB, and then how much and the stars, and how much is actually down to that individual coaching. They can be a great position coach, but is he actually a head coaching material? Well, we don't know. That's why I prefer to look at the guys who have done more with less or have done as much with less. That's why Salah keeps jumping out to me, just because you look at the amount of injuries he's had to deal with and yet what they've been able to produce. So that's why I wonder if I tend to lean towards him. And Salah, for me, I think, you know, I think like Mike Vrabel was a god-awful defensive coordinator, but he's done a good job <laughs> as a head coach. Yeah, and, I, yeah, and it's almost like you don't want the best coordinator because the best coordinator, you know, did anybody think Joe Judge was going to do an admirable job as a... As a as a special teams guy who was actually only really t- touted for the Mississippi job, got that job, and he's obviously a big person. Okay, I know he had a bit of a scrap with the offensive line coach on the on the the practice field, but you know he's got a big personality, and people want to play for him. And I think that's what you need at times, and I think that's what we need to change the culture because that's the biggest thing. And hopefully that does not include the giant Q tip, and we can move on uh, from him, and uh, and we can start afresh. But there is a lot at stake. And uh, we shall see as time plays out. It's going to be a long old off season, but I think it'll be quite an exciting one if we can get this higher done, you know, late January, early February, and depending on who's in the Super Bowl and who we can and can't talk to. Um, but thank you very much for your time, Anthony. It always helps to try and talk it out during the week to 
to hopefully see it, see the uh, the sunrise again another day because it certainly didn't feel like that on Sunday in Chicago. Absolutely, absolute pleasure to join you. Um, I mean, let's be honest. I would say can't wait for this weekend, but that that will be a lie. So it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks. Um, I think at this point in time, the off season is going to come as a blessed relief, and I'm looking forward to being able to talk to you about a fresh start next year. Yeah, I think that was the first time I got a text sort of halfway through the first half, and I said, I texted back. I said, "This is the first time for a long time. I just want it to be over." But look, there's still some games to be played. There's still a great quarterback to go and watch on Sunday, um, and there's you know there's still still a lot of football to be played yet. So that was Anthony Wood. Thank you very much for his time again and join us. You can check us out on podcasttexas.com at podcasttexas on Twitter, on Facebook. Please continue to review and. Re- and share the podcast. Please make sure you subscribe if you haven't already. And hopefully we'll be back next week with a bit more of an uplifting update with a win in the division against the Colts. 